action sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet us. Use the Twitter handle at SFDiocese, that's S-F-D-I-O-C-E-S-E, SFDiocese, with the hashtag ignition so that we can get that... that that twit your that twit your tweets to the right place. See, so I am I'm already um, discombobulated because my longtime um, co-host is is no longer with us. If you've listened to Ignition before, uh, Father Andrew Dickinson, well, he's with us, but just not in the studio. Father Andrew Dickinson is a priest of our diocese who's uh, who recorded uh, about 200 episodes of Ignition with me, and um, he's uh, no longer able to continue. Uh, trying to focus some of his ministry um, at St. Paul's Parish in White, South Dakota, and at the St. Uh, Pius XII, I almost be canonized Pius XII already, the Pius XII Newman Center in Brookings, South Dakota. So um, in the meantime, I'm trying trying desperately hard to find co-hosts to fill in, and I'm really going to the bottom of the barrel uh, today, but we have with us by phone... Um, some guy named Carl Olson from the Northwest. So, um, in all honesty, I'm, 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 uh, excited to have Carl on the show. He's been on before. Carl is an author. He's a speaker. He's been to our diocese at least once, maybe a couple times. Um, and he's currently the editor of Catholic World Report, which is published by Ignatius Press. So, uh, Carl, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? You're going to be, uh, sort of the focus of today's episode, but just by way of briefly introducing Introducing yourself, the the bare essentials before we get into the conversation. Well, I'm actually underneath the barrel. That's how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even see the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's, it's interesting because it's uh, the the anniversaries here line up for me, me personally very in a very uh, curious way. In that this, of course, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation or Revolution. Um, I think both. Both terms are appropriate in various ways. It also is the 20th anniversary this year of my wife and I entering the Catholic Church. Oh, wow. Um, we entered the Catholic Church Easter Vigil 1997 at St. Paul's Catholic Church here in Eugene, Oregon. And since the year 2000, we've actually been attending a Byzantine parish, Nativity of the Mother of God, Ukrainian Catholic Church, which is in Springfield, Oregon, just across the interstate. And um, so we've actually spent most of our Catholic life uh, in a Byzantine parish, which is uh, kind of unique. There's only three such parishes in all of Oregon. Um, And so, you know, we're kind of blessed to have the opportunity to be there. And I think that's also shaped a lot of the ways I think I I view a lot of things um, in regards to theology and and so forth. Um, But my own background was, I was raised, as you know, Chris, I was raised in a very anti-Catholic fundamentalist home, uh, whereas my wife Heather was raised in more of a conservative evangelical setting, 
that was not so overtly antagonistic to Catholicism. You know, Heather has said that really the way she was raised, the Catholic Church, I mean, she was aware of the Catholic Church, of course, but it wasn't something that came up a lot. Right. Whereas in my upbringing, it was very much this presence of it's a false religion, Catholics aren't really Christian. Um, the irony is that several of the families that were closest to me, that I was closest to growing up, two of them in particular, were Catholic. And we had many good friends who were Catholic. And so there wasn't, it wasn't like there was a strained relationship with Catholics. Uh, we, we had a great time with Catholics. Uh, good friends, uh, we just knew that they were going to hell. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I say that somewhat flippantly, obviously, but there was some truth, there was some truth to that. Like, we really did believe that they really weren't saved. Uh, they weren't really Christian, and of course we tried to witness to them in various ways, and it ended up actually having a lot of great conversations over the years, which some of those, I think, eventually helped me later on. Um, so with, with that, with just, just uh, to to uh, briefly interrupt you. Well, maybe not briefly. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> you said you tried to witness to them in various ways. So concretely, what does that look like? So you're you're coming from, um, and I'm going to have you unpack these these terms. Do you come from a fundamentalist slash or hyphen evangelical Protestant background? Um, and we'll we'll get to what that means in a little bit. But you're trying to witness to these papists, these Romanists, who are your good friends. So w- w- concretely, what did that like? How did you witness to them that way? Well, yeah, that's a great question, because the term witness, I mean, it can sound a little bit formal, like, you know, um, we'd have them over and we'd be wearing our Sunday best. And have them, you know, yeah. But my fan, my parents especially were really, looking back, I'm really kind of amazed, they would, so we lived in a very small town of just about 1,200 people, and when new people would move into town, almost always my parents would go and introduce themselves to them and have conversations. And almost always in that conversation, like when I was there present, the question was asked, you know, are, do you go to church? Are you interested in going to church? Are you a Christian? Would you like to come to our church? Um, that, of course, could lead to other uh, topics. Of course, if, depending on how that person answered, we had a lot of people, my parents would invite over for dinner. We'd have these conversations. I mean, I remember many uh, very interesting conversations at the dinner table with people, and it was about, really about salvation and what does it mean to be a Christian, what does it mean to be saved, how are you living your life. Uh, my parents were not and are not um, theologically trained, and uh, but they very much into reading the Bible on a constant basis, and they're very unapologetic about talking to other people about Jesus and inviting them to church and doing stuff like that. That was just the norm. Um, which is interesting because both my parents were raised, my mom was raised in what I would call a very nominal Lutheran home, and my dad was raised kind of as nothing. And they had a born-again experience together. Um, you know, they accepted Jesus Christ as the personal Lord and Savior, as that, you know, that, using that language, about two years or so before I was born. So that would have been back in 1967. So a long, 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 long time ago. A long time ago, that's right. 50 years ago, actually, this, this year, I just occurred to me that it was when they made their, you know, kind of their profession of faith, and then I was born two years later. And so I was raised uh, very early on. My dad and a, a number of other men formed uh, what's a Plains Bible Chapel, in Plains, Montana, and it was actually a split off of the uh, missionary 
Alliance Church um, that was there in town. It's a split over an issue of doctrine. Uh, in this case, it was a, the matter of salvation, whether whether you could lose your salvation or not. And so the pastor of that Missionary Alliance Church at that time believed that, yes, you can lose your salvation if you do certain things. And my father and a number of other men said, no, once you're saved, you're always saved. And which, of course, is a very strong, that's a very strong split among various fundamentalist evangelical groups, that issue. Um, and so that, that Bible chapel continues today. My dad is still very active in that. My mom is very active in that. Um, and, of course, they, they had a hard time when uh, we became Catholic. Sure. Uh, obviously, a little bit of a, a shock to them. But... Um, so that it's a very interesting way of being raised. Uh, there's very there's a lot of positives. So of course, yeah, I was going to say like the, the 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 way that they the hospitality they extended to new people in town, invite them over, and then just um, it sounds like at least in a very natural, uh, not coerced or or not not coerced, um, not contrived contrived or artificial way, but a natural way they they shared what they understood the good news of Jesus Christ to be with those those guests. Yeah, and I would say, you know, the thing, and I think a lot of it flows from my parents' personality and that they're, they're very no-nonsense people. They're, they're not into smoke and mirrors or, or a lot of, um, I don't just call it, they're just very direct. Um, not not insensitive, but just direct. And the so, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it, Carl <laughs> Yeah, that's true. No, that's true. I actually take after my father many ways. Um, you know, my parents were constantly, and they still do. They constantly would do things for people and constantly uh, helping people out in a lot of different ways. And so, what I saw was how, for them, their Christian faith really was um, animated them to help others. Uh, now, there are certain, pro- you know, like a negative here. I, I've made the joke. I mean, my my mom was a very godly woman, a wonderful woman. God bless her. But she, I've made the joke that if, when she meets somebody within 15 minutes, she can tell whether that person is going to hell or not. Uh-huh. Now, in a sense that, that reflects kind of a certain fundamentalist perspective, sure. which is, you know, it, it looks at life that way and it, it wants to make that judgment. And there is a judgmental quality, certainly, that comes with fundamentalism. Um, on the other hand, the positive, I guess you say, is they actually care about whether people are going to hell or not. There's a real belief that right. this is a real viable uh, choice, that this actually is true. And, of course, we as Catholics should agree with that. Um, you know, ultimately, we're, we're going to be either in eternal communion with God or we're not, um, bottom line. But, you know, it can lead to a this kind of a utilitarian approach there sometimes, right? Things become... Um, very pragmatic in how you look at stuff. And I think part of that is just because there's not a lot of the, not just the theological richness, but also the spiritual devotional richness that you have in the Catholic Church or should have. Um, And so I think that's one thing that really caused me to go searching was that there was kind of a bare-bones quality at times to fundamentalism. Now, I went to Bible college for two years, which is really a big turning point for me in many ways, I was exposed then to a, a much greater kind of vista of Christianity, and actually that's where I first began to really read very seriously 
people like ranging from Flannery O'Connor to C.S. Lewis to T.S. Eliot to um, even, um, I was going to say, some Newman. I'm not sure if I actually did read Newman then, but, you know, Chesterton. And that really opened the door to things that would eventually, you know, be uh, really influential in becoming Catholic. So uh, before, before let me just interject yeah. again there. So before we sort of start to turn that corner towards what led you, uh, if you could explain, so you, you've described yourself, um, your background rather, coming from a fundamentalist, evangelical, Protestant background. What are those terms, maybe Catholics who have heard, but don't really have a good, you know, working definition, if you will, of, of what those two terms mean? What do they mean and, and how do they go together when you're describing your, your background? Well, I think in America they have distinctive meanings, and historically the term fundamentalist comes from a series of books that were published in the early 20th century titled The Fundamentals. What's interesting is that those books were actually written by professors from Harvard and Princeton and other colleges, right? Um, And they were defending the fundamentals of the faith, and there were several of those. They include the uh, the virgin birth of Christ, uh, salvation by Christ alone, um, the resurrection, uh, the Bible being the infallible Word of God, that sort of thing. And many of these are things that we as Catholics could affirm, perhaps with some qualifications, but also the fundamentals were clearly in many ways also anti-Catholic. Right. Catholic aspects to them as well, and some of the authors held to views of the end times that were, of course, very contrary to, to Catholic faith. But, you know, the simple version is that as the 20th century went along, in the 1930s and 40s, there became an increasing tension within what we might call conservative American Protestantism. And there were a number of kind of schisms or breaks. And, you know, for, for the sake of our conversation, you eventually had kind of this break between the more fundamentalist faction and the more the evangelical faction. And one way that I've described this is the fundamentalists are anti-Catholic, period. And evangelicals tend to be more... Catholic in the sense of being more open to the Catholic Church actually being Christian. Not always, uh, but I think there is a lot more openness there. Certainly, I think today that's the case. Okay. I mean, when you look at you look at the ecumenical things that have gone on the last few decades, whether it be regarding abortion or other issues of life or even doctrinal issues, you know, the recent Nashville statement that came out regarding marriage and the nature of marriage and so forth, which was an evangelical document that has been signed by a number of Catholics. Those are examples of that. Fundamentalists, I would say a true fundamentalist would say the Catholic Church is not Christian. It is pagan. It is wrong. Fundamentalists tend to have a very apocalyptic worldview in kind of the the more common sense of that word, not the biblical sense, but in the sense that everything's going to end very soon. The end is nigh. Um and everything is getting worse. There's a sense of fatalism within fundamentalism, um, and also a very a very strong sense that Scripture is something that I can go to directly and read. I don't need tradition. I don't need to look at what previous 2,000 years of people maybe said or thought about Scripture. Uh, it's a very, there's a very individualistic quality to fundamentalism. Uh, it's paradoxical, because fundamentalists also tend to have very strong families and close-knit, you know, churches as well. Um, so it's, right. 
it's very hard to describe, uh, and I think the lines between those can get hazy. It's people who are kind of straddling the fence, so to speak, between a form of fundamentalism and maybe aspects of evangelicalism. And that's the thing about, I would say, about the nature of Protestantism today. It's incredibly diverse, and it almost never makes complete sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't say that even super critically. I, I think a lot of... I think a lot of Protestants would agree with that. Right. I mean, there's just a lot of things that don't make total sense. Like, you will find Protestants who say, I believe X, Y, and Z, and then they'll say, but I also believe A, B, and C, even though they don't really completely logically agree with right. X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, so, and that's kind of why it's difficult for Catholics to get a grasp. That makes sense. So your background, though, that there was definitely the fundamentalist uh, dimension to your... Absolutely. Okay. Very okay. much so. Okay. And even, you know, it's so, so much so, Chris, that when... I would sometimes meet people who now, in retrospect, were basically, you know, Orthodox evangelicals. I thought that maybe they were a little bit too mandy-pandy. Sure, sure. Too, too loose, right? I mean, be, you know, they think that Catholics might actually have something good to say. So, by the time I was in Bible college, and I had a professor, an Anglican, um, he was kind of the anomaly there, but he actually encouraged us to go and maybe attend a Christmas sigil mass or something like that. He was very liturgical very sacramental. Um, he was very influential in getting me to see some of those things in a different way. And um, that was unusual for that Bible college, but it was there. And again, that opened doors for me to see things a bit differently. And that was the door that kept opening you know, more widely as the years went on. So let's, uh, we'll go ahead now and start to look at them more closely. You're listening to Ignition, a broadcast for the new evangelization. I'm Chris Bergwald, and today uh, we're talking, I'm talking with Carla Olson, um, author and speaker uh, and editor of Catholic World Report, about his own uh, conversion story from fundamentalist evangelical Protestantism to Catholicism 20 years ago, uh, 1997, um, as we're recording this. If you have questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas about future episodes, you can email us ignition at sfcatholic.org again ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet at us use the twitter handle sfdiocese with the hashtag ignition okay so carl in just about uh what do we have about eight minutes or so to go here so starting to turn that corner you go to bible college and um through various influences including you're just talking about an anglican professor that you had start looking um uh, at some new things maybe things a little bit differently what was it that led you then to to, to sort of maybe look uh, anew at at the the whore of Babylon, which is how many <laughs> fundamentalists yeah. view the Catholic Church. There are a number of different strands that came together for me personally, and um, one of those was certainly historical. There came a point where I found that I was, well, I, I should begin with, a, I think the literary artistic side actually is what really got me going. I really fell in love with the poetry of T.S. Eliot. I loved C.S. Lewis and Flannery O'Connor and Gerard Manley Hopkins. And, of course, I noticed that all these writers that I liked were either Catholic or what we might call Anglo-Catholic, and they had deeply incarnational and sacramental worldviews. Now, um, I certainly had... I certainly believe in the incarnation as a fundamentalist evangelical, but I would say that I believe in the incarnation. I, you know, I would I would say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is fully God, holy man. But I hadn't really yet pondered the ramifications of that. And as I began to think about it, I began to to see that it's the incarnation upon which the sacramental worldview is built on, because if God truly does become man, and creation really is good, and God actually uses. 
uh, is willing to become flesh and dwell among us, then why shouldn't he and why wouldn't he use things like bread and water and wine and oil and so forth to impart and to gift us with grace? And then I began to see that really my understanding of salvation was, was lacking, that grace is far more than just God's favor, that it actually is about sharing in the, the actual Trinitarian life of God. But a lot of this initially came to me through, again, works of poetry and fiction. You know, I mean, reading uh, Flannery O'Connor, and of course she has, a very, she has some very shocking, startling ways of presenting a sacramental worldview. And that really struck me, reading T.S. Eliot's Ash Wednesday, which uh, I wrote a major paper about and, and really had a profound effect on me. Mm. Um, so it'd be hard to pinpoint, like, oh, some, at, that, at that time saying, oh, this, I made this profound theological breakthrough. It was more a shift in worldview, a shift of how I saw things. Okay. And then later I began to more systematically study the theology and the history. And a key moment, or, you know, a key time for me was going back and saying, I need to really trace my own personal lineage back. Like, okay, I was raised in the Plains Bible Chapel. Well, we were a split off from the Christian Missionary Alliance, and I start going back, and of course, Christian Missionary Alliance um, has its own pedigree, and, and of course, you go back and you find uh, these various groups. We aligned ourselves with the Plymouth Brethren Movement, which was the, the movement that came out of the uh, England and, and the British Isles that was focused on the rapture. And the Plymouth Brethren Movement was itself a break-off of kind of a Wesleyan movement, which, of course, is a break-off of the Anglican Church, or Communion, which, of course, was created by Henry VIII. Right. Uh, and so as I went back and I began to study the, the Protestant Reformation, I began to realize, I began to see the different streams, I began to see the different, you know, you've got, of course, Lutheranism and Calvinism and Zengliaism and so forth. And then I began to look at early Church history, and when I began to read the Apostolic Fathers, who are who are those to guys? Read these, yeah, you know, Ignatius of Antioch uh, was a huge one. Um, Polycarp, um, Justin Martyr. You read these and you realize, wait a second, whatever these guys are, they're not American fundamentalists, right? <laughs> um, and what they're saying is. Catholic. Uh, they're talking about the Eucharist, they're talking about celebrating Mass, they're talking about uh, papal authority. Uh, and of course, they're doing it in kind of, um, in kind of, a, kind of a seedling way. I mean, they're not, they're not expounding. Ignatius of Antioch doesn't give us a full-blown theology of the sacraments, but he talks about how the docetists uh, refuse to recognize the Eucharist as the body and blood of Christ, right? Uh, and I realized that in a certain way that the fundamentalism of my youth was actually a form of docetism, which is a, is a Gnosticism, which downplays the efficacy, the goodness of creation. So it's a, and, a docetism is an early Christian heresy that, that sort of uh, says that anything that's material was created by this evil, quote-unquote, God. Uh, yeah, and, and that's the God of the Old Testament, right? And um, And that... You know, the Gnostics had their own, quote-unquote, Gospels or Scriptures, and the key thing with the Gnostics, they believed the material realm was bad, and that we have to flee from, we have to escape from the material realm, and have only a spiritual enlightenment or awakening, 
which I saw in certain ways, my own fundamentalist upbringing had aspects of that. And even I then found that, you know, that Mark Knoll, who's a great evangelical historian, written some of the best works of, of history, of history of Protestantism in North America over the last 30 years. He wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, uh, 27 mm -hmm. years ago, and right. I read it 25 years ago. And he talks about how certain forms of American Protestantism are, are Gnostic. They reject the sacramental reality. They reject even the incarnational reality that is in, in a lived-out way, in a consequential way. You can lift service to it. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is this and that. But in terms of how it works its way out in history, in the life of the Church, we actually kind of disavow it or won't have anything to do with it. Um, so fundamentalism, you know, to get back to your question about fundamentalism, I think the key thing is that fundamentalism is reactionary. It reacts ultimately against Catholicism, whereas evangelicalism actually kind of more yearns for it. It actually embraces aspects of it that struggles to do so wholly, I think. People okay. like to put that. Okay. So we've got about uh, two minutes to go. What? So if there's um, maybe, well, two people listening, uh, maybe uh, somebody like yourself 25 years ago listening, uh, what would your advice be to them? And then if there's maybe a Catholic, a faithful Catholic who doesn't know a lot about um, evangelical or fundamentalist Protestantism, what would your advice be to that person? Well, I would go back to something that Chesterton said in a couple different places, and that is, let the Church speak for herself, and just listen to her. Give her, you know, give her the time. Um, and for me, it was really discovering the Catechism, which had just come out. I bought it not long after it came out in 1995, I think it was in English, and began reading it, and realized, wait a second, okay, I had all these misconceptions, all these stereotypes, and the catechism lays it out so beautifully, it, uh, it's so well footnoted and documented. It's, you know, for a Protestant like myself, it was like one-stop shopping. Yep. And it was great. And so just letting the Church speak for herself, what does the Church actually believe? Not not what Jack Chick says, or Tim LaHaye says, or this person says. What does the Church actually teach in her councils through uh, various means, you know, through her catechisms, etc.? And yep. that is key. And I think that's true not just for Protestants, but for a lot of Catholics today. I mean, I, you, you and I both know a lot of Catholics say, well, you know, the Church says this or that, and it's like, well, no, it doesn't. So I think it's really a matter of going to authoritative sources like the Catechism and actually reading it and studying it and understanding how it all fits together. Great. So, um, yeah, go to the go to the sources. If you want to know what the church says, ask it itself by by reading her documents and so on. So, we've been talking today with Carl Olson, um, author, speaker, uh, editor of Catholic World Report about his own conversion. Next week, in next week's episode, we're going to talk about the idea of conversion in general, uh, the sense in which we are all called to be converts in an ongoing way, but also thinking of people like himself. So that'll be next week, but that will wrap up this week, uh, this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet us with the, uh, at sfdiocese, use the hashtag ignition with any questions about today's episode or ideas for, for future ones. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. 
Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.